Turo is the world's largest car-sharing marketplace. With Turo, you can book any car you want, wherever you want it, from a community of local hosts. Browse a huge selection of vehicles for just about any occasion or budget. Book an SUV or minivan for a family road trip, a pickup truck for some errands, or even test drive an EV. Every trip is backed by liability insurance. Terms, conditions, and exclusions apply. Find your drive. Forget boring rental cars at Turo.com. Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, the weekly podcast featuring conversations with local purpose-driven leaders, leaders creating social impact through their work and fostering in a new era of social progress. We want you to listen, connect, and grow with us. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. Yeah, so I guess there's a lot of skin and out of out of funky shapes that come off and get turned into to a sludge, and um, that's what we convert into sort of the biopolymer that we then use. Um, so it's a really cool process, actually. That that waste itself is um, fed to a type of bacteria, um, which I guess the way to describe it is like a, a mammal eating food, mm-hmm. um, and it stores that 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 starch in its, its sort of cell wall and turns that byproduct into the biopolymer that we use. So it's this amazing kind of natural process that occurs to make um, the plastic that we use. Welcome back to Humans of Purpose. We are proudly sponsored by Neon Treehouse, the best digital agency on the planet Earth. To learn more, just head to neontreehouse.com or hit the link in our show notes. We're also sponsored by Creole, who are the official drink of Humans of Purpose. I'm actually right now sipping on a wonderful glass with a, with a uh, actually a square ice cube of a mango, lime and turmeric concoction, which I highly recommend from Creole. They've just nailed the mango flavour and the colour as well is just vibrant and makes the drinking experience all the more pleasurable. As loyal Humans of Purpose listeners, you can enjoy a 15% discount on their tasty range of healthy sodas. To do so, just hit the link in our show notes or head to creole.com.au, click shop and enter discount code Humans of Purpose on checkout. A guest on the pod this week is Julia Kay. Julia is the co-CEO and co-founder of Great Wrap. The Great Wrap produces the only Australian-made compostable cling wrap. Even better, it's made out of waste potato scraps. The wrap, once used, reduces down to carbon and water in your compost pile within six months. I reached out to Julia hoping to learn more about how this product is proving to be an environmental game changer as both a household and commercial product in Australia and overseas. The possibility of replacing all that unnecessary plastic with a product like Great Wrap is really exciting and has tremendous potential to shift purchasing decisions in a direction that is better for the planet. It was a pleasure hosting Julia, who was kind enough to stop past on her way back to her Morning Peninsula home and office locations. It was a shame that Julia's life and business partner Geordie couldn't be with us, but I will certainly look forward to speaking to both of them in future. Hope you enjoy my conversation with Julia as much as I did. So I am absolutely thrilled to have uh, Julia from the Great Rap Co and Cyril with me today. How's it going? Great, great. Thanks for having us. I'm so pleased to have you. Uh, obviously, Cyril was already here, so it's not such an honour to have him. <laughs> but um, you've made the trip down from Mornington today. Yeah, yeah. Um, we have, or I have, um, setting up our sort of second factory. So big day, big day at Great Rap. Very exciting. Yeah, I read um, a post that you put on Instagram that was um, extremely exciting. You, you said, it's been a while since we left our day jobs to try and get rid of plastic. We're officially making product from food waste now. Here's to us and our solar-powered factory feeling good. And that, <laughs> that actually made me feel really good. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it was um, 
It's I think it's exactly a year and two weeks to the day. Oh, so, how exciting. Yeah. So this is the second factory? It is, yeah. So I guess um, our first factory was a place in which we could test a lot of our products and ideas and really kind of, you know, get that product to market that we'd made ourselves. Um to, you know, without going into too much manufacturing. Yeah, I'm taking you too deep too early. <laughs> Let me back up the truck a yeah. little bit because uh, I, I do want to get into that. But I think a good place to start is let's talk about your journey a little bit because you did not start out uh, turning food waste into fantastic, useful product. Um, I'm hearing a bit about architecture and bass guitar. <laughs> yeah, a lot more, um, you know, architecture than bass guitar. <laughs> I think bass guitar is me and my, you know, alternate reality. I'd love. <laughs> Looking forward to that band one day. But, yeah, no, so um, I guess my sort of career before starting Great Rap began about, you know, 10 years ago working in architecture. Um, I really loved the idea of being able to design the built environment and I guess in turn having, you know, effects on the community that were um, – every day mm. uh, and that's what was really exciting for me I, I w- was able to work on incredible projects you know be it um, like education projects so I worked on a lot of schools and universities and then um, some community gallery spaces which were really amazing too um, and I just you know I, I absolutely loved it I learned a heap about materials and uh, how things go together and what they're made of and where they come from which actually looking back is probably pretty formative Um, But the other thing that, you know, was really cool about architecture that um, not necessarily springs to mind when you hear the term, I think a lot of people think it's really glamorous, but, um, you know, there's a lot of working with, you know, builders and and timelines and budgets and, and making just what starts as like a can just be a, almost a squiggle on a serviette and making that a space that you can walk through. Um, so would you have those um, squiggle on serviette moments where you'd come up with a concept and then try and build it into something? Definitely, definitely a um, bit of post-rationalisation there as well, <laughs> um, which I can admit now that I'm not working in architecture. I like that you talked a little bit about the bo- the boring and dark side of architecture. Like there's the inspiring stuff, but yeah. then there's also Gantt charts, there's project management, there's yeah. dealing with contractors and, the, you know, there's a lot of inspiring um making communities better but there's also you know that hard part as well yeah totally and that's sort of you know paid off in you know so much now with setting up this sort of factories which we can talk about a bit later but you know it it really is like quite hard to take an idea into a built form that you can feel and and walk through and live and um I learned a lot there and I learned a lot about communication and um I guess expectations of how things work um across a, a variety of different people which is really um yeah and I guess that kind of leads into where the great rap journey sort of began um you know I was sort of feeling like I was a bit frustrated with the projects I was getting you know I was probably not doing as much of that meaningful work that I'd set out to do um and I felt a bit like you know the world around me was kind of burning and there was a heap of technology happening in the in the space around materials that I was working with but um, none in the sort of supply chain space. Like I would, you know, literally kind of spec this incredible timber and it would show up on site and it was still wrapped in all of this plastic. And I was like, I'm, tr- I'm really like I'm doing my best, but there's a lot of, a lot of gaps in between. Um, so that's the first time you see the problem? Yeah, I think, it, yeah, definitely the first time I see the problem. Um, and it was like kind of drilled in, you know, every site you see it kind of blowing out of the wind. Um, 
this plastic wrap. And then, you know, my my partner and co-founder and husband, Geordie, he's the same. He was making wine, um, you know, shipping it all around the world and doing the same wrapping pallets. And we were like, oh, my God, like no matter how I farm these grapes or build this building, it's still I'm still having this impact that I don't want to have. Um, so I guess it started out of a real desire for a product. You know, we were really users of pallet wrap. So it's a proper design problem. Like, the, you, you know, you need something. It doesn't exist. You kind of know what the application is, but you don't necessarily know yet how you're going to develop that product. Definitely. Yeah, it really did kind of start with a problem, which is like looking back kind of a conventional way to start an idea because th- there was a brief moment where I was like, do we just – redesigned freight like imagine if we had a pallet that everything kind of clipped into and then you know I kind of (laughs) realized that's not how the world works and um, we started to kind of interrogate the material itself Um, and that's when we realized it sort of really hadn't changed in you know since it's kind of I don't know the petroleum industry had sort of started using it in kind of the 60s and it was really archaic and uh fragmented and no one really knew what it was made of or questioned it or didn't know where it came from. It just arrived and kind of disappeared. Um, So that kind of kicked off the journey, (laughs) which was, you know, a massive journey of research and um, reading papers. And And this is all while you're still working in architecture? Yes, definitely. (laughs) Juggling. um, Very. how, How do you know, like with something like this, I mean, do you get a feeling that it's the right idea early? Um, that you really want to sort of put the put your foot down on the pedal quite hard? Definitely. Like, I mean, I think, yeah, probably it's a good question because I am the sort of person that has a lot of ideas all the time. Me too. <laughs> most, of the, most of mine are terrible. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And that's why it's great to have someone you can air them with really quickly and <laughs> go, no. I do it with Louise as well, my wife, so. Perfect. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. good to do that. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it was like, you know, Geordie and I having that chat and we we're like, God, yeah, this is like, let's do this. We make things. There's a problem. Um, we understand the tech and we know how to make products and deliver like on that side. So this is us. Um, but then I actually think it was, you know, talking to friends and kind of, you know, it was like one Instagram post and, you know, we had a really small batch and that sold out in, you know, a matter of hours. And I had all of these crazy like random LinkedIn messages from like Dubai airport and things asking for this product. Really? From the one Instagram post? Yeah. Which is super weird. So it's a viral kind of moment. <laughs> on on a very nano scale. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of um do you remember what kind of post it was? Uh it was it was all product related. It was just like, look, we've you know, um compostable pallet wrap available now. Um, you know, order through this very poorly made website. <laughs> you must have hit this sweet spot where a lot of people were like supply chain wise, I really need to cut down on my um, manageable waste or reduce waste. And then it was like, oh, there's something here. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, for us, it was like we've validated that idea kind of early in, in terms of the, the market. And now it's like everyone's like, oh, th- you know, thank God you're doing this. Like this is so important. We've got all of these packaging targets, um, but we don't know how to meet them and recycling isn't quite there and it's expensive. Um, so now, you know, I guess part of our scale up factory has, um, scaling up sort of phase has been, um, a bit of a challenge around managing, I guess, demand versus what we can actually make. Yeah, I'm sure. So, you know, awesome problem. So that's like the problem where the hype and the the movement's grown and then you've got to kind of service that demand that you didn't expect maybe to grow as much as it did. Definitely. It's like, um, you know, 
people talk about things snowballing and I think um, very much so. It's, it's, it's really awesome to see. I think, you know, um, a lot of people are looking for products like ours and understand the problem of waste now. And after something like COVID where, you know, we stay home and are able to kind of see that in a very visual way, mm. um, it's very much front of mind. So, yeah, it's, and I guess probably seeing it every day in your work and were you kind of feeling bad about having to wrap pallets like in order all the plastic and stuff and was that sort of part of what spurred you on to to have that inherent desire? Definitely, yeah. The, the huge amount of waste, I mean, construction is one of those industries that we all know probably needs a lot of improvement. Um, so it was a massive driver. Like I wanted to feel better about what I was doing and making sure that every step along the way was the right choice to make. So... So how do you come up with the idea to use um, potato waste and from French fries and potatoes, I understand, to actually make the product? Oh, there's a lot of questions because, okay, so um, to give you an idea of, I guess, the formula that we use with the product, it's it's a very, uh, it's an ever-evolving journey. So we started to, our first product was made from cornstarch. Um, which we now know is um, not a great option because it, you know, requires intense ag- intensive agriculture and huge amounts of water and chemicals. Um, but at the time when we started, that was the best option. Um, and we quickly realised that there was a lot of work to be done um, and we also had a lot of waste that not much was happening to. Uh, so um, Geordie did a lot, of, a lot of work and a lot of research and years in papers and then... Um, came across a paper that was talking about starch conversion into a biopolymer um, and we were able to then go and have a conversation with Monash University and say, look, like, is this something we can make a reality? Um, and they said yes and that was about two years ago and that's what kicked off, I guess, like a really long <laughs> long research journey. That's amazing. Yeah, it's it's awesome and, and just being able to work with a university in such an amazing capacity for like such a commercial problem is something that is so incredible um, and, yeah, so that that's sort of how we landed on potato waste, how you then go to manufacture. So hold on, <laughs> so Monash um, through that process helped you identify that potato waste might be a better option than cornstarch? Yeah, well, we yeah, that's actually a good question. We did start to we we knew it want, we wanted it to be a waste product. Um, it, we didn't want it to be farmed for purpose. Yep. Um, so we explored things like grape mark, um, cassava waste, you know, a, a huge variety of waste. Um, and potato waste sort of was the most efficient. And locally in Melbourne, there's a lot of it. You know, we know one supplier <laughs> who's got 70,000 tonnes of potato chip well, waste. How is there so much potato? Like, aren't people eating all the chips? Where's the waste coming from? Well, it's funny because, you know, you think about a chip, yeah. um, you know, fast food, beautiful comic book chip. Yeah, perfect, the perfect, perfect chip, yeah. the golden arches. Yeah, the golden arches, mm. the, you know, they come with that disposed waste, which <laughs> we go, amazing, let's <laughs> give it to us. <laughs> but I guess the reality is that with every perfect chip, there's a lot of waste that comes with that. Yeah, so I guess there's a lot of skin and outer, outer funky shapes that come off and get turned into to a sludge and – Um, that's what we convert into sort of the biopolymer that we then use. Um, So it's a really cool process actually. That that waste itself is um, fed to a type of bacteria, um, which I guess the way to describe it is like a mammal eating food Mm -hmm. Um, and it stores that that starch in its its sort of cell wall and turns 
that byproduct into the biopolymer that we use. So it's this amazing kind of natural process that occurs to make um, the plastic that we use. So That's so cool. It's awesome. It's actually amazing. Were you, I mean, what's that like working with the university to do product innovation like at that really kind of lab level? Yeah, oh, it's, so in, it's so inspiring and um, I guess it's really quite unique um, to come in as a business and be able to kind of, um, work on a, like, I don't know how to describe it. Um, like it's very rare in a uni project that you're driven by actually an outcome that's like, look, we've got people who want a product. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, it's just been such a learning curve between the R and D team and our team. And we've learned so much about how things work and how research works and the power of, of knowledge. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been an incredible process. I think sometimes they're banging their heads um, when when chatting to us because they're like, guys, that's not how this works. <laughs> <laughs> and so are you always in their ear, like is this an ongoing um, kind of improvement process where you're in their ear saying, hey, look, you know, we've got the potato waste, but um, is there better options? Like can we improve the product somehow or reduce the amount of potato needed? Is that kind of incrementalism there? Yeah, it's very much an ongoing collaboration. Um, And I I guess, you know, the way we've kind of treated solving this problem is like bringing all of the experts to a dinner party um, (laughs) to talk about the best and most efficient way to do that. So, you know, we've started to work with some biotech um, consultants globally that have also been able to kind of work on those efficiencies and make sure that, you know, when we do take on that waste, we're not releasing a huge amount of, you know, CO2 or um, just kind of really fine-tuning it so it really is that best product we can be making. And um, I think, you know, by this time next year, we'll be setting our own in-house biorefinery up and I think we'll be close to almost being where we want to be, but it definitely feels like a constant um, evolution for sure. It's absolutely amazing. And I always think with things like this, are you part of like a global innovation community of practice or like locally or globally where you're kind of following and in touch with other people who are doing similar things? Yeah, definitely. I think it's um, early phases of the of the kind of biopolymer sphere. And I know there's a lot of us kind of globally that have had conversations on and off, but I, I would love to see where we're at in, um, you know, two years' time because I think it really – um, is going to be a huge time. Like, I think we really will shift away from using conventional plastics and I'm really excited to see um, what that community looks like because I think it's going to be a lot bigger than what it is right now, which will be amazing. You've got a very like logical and clear application. I think when we were outside trying to explain to Louise what you did, it was like six words and it's, it's very clear what you do. But I wonder how a sense of mission or purpose drives your brand as well. Yeah. Um, so I guess, you know, our biggest mission, you know, I, I mean, people ask us a lot. So, you know, what other products will you make or um, can you use it for this? And like, I guess our answer is yes, you can, but does it align with what we're trying to do? Um, and I guess what we are trying to do is completely knock petroleum plastic off the shelf. So uh, we've started with pallet wrap and cling wraps because there is no reusable or alternative. Um, and the recycling technology just isn't there. Um, or, you know, if it is in maybe, you know, where infrastructure is really good, but it's harder where it's not. Um, so there's, you know, 150,000 tonnes of stretch wrap annually in Australia each year. So 
that's why we started with this product. Um, the work we've done with Monash and a few other incredible teams um, on the formula is has many applications, but um, again, just having that strong mission is really awesome because there are a lot of exciting things you can make when you're, you're solving pr- plastic. So, I'm sure you have like ideas all the time about new products to make and, and Geordie would as well. Yeah, definitely. One of my um, favourite ones that we're not doing in the immediate future, but I would love. Turo is the world's largest car sharing marketplace. With Turo, you can book any car you want, wherever you want it, from a community of local hosts. Browse a huge selection of vehicles for just about any occasion or budget. Book an SUV or minivan for a family road trip, a pickup truck for some errands, or even test drive an EV. Every trip is backed by liability insurance. Terms, conditions, and exclusions apply. Find your drive. Forget boring rental cars at Turo.com. ...is just those soy fish. Um. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> Japanese food, huge waste market. I know, I know. We love Japanese food and, you know, obviously... I heard one time that there was more of those fish um, on the planet than people and I just ever since then it's not the goal but <laughs> it, it, it irks me. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I, I think uh, part of the thing for you guys would be like what is the thing that annoys me most that's in my life? Like, so you've done the palate problem, <laughs> now it's a sushi problem. So no, kind look, of moving through things. Slowly. Maybe, maybe. I think <laughs> Yeah, yeah, probably some, um, you know, construction films are another massive one as well. I was going to say, so if you think about the size and scale of the problem, like what percentage of the market do you think is, do you have like a goal in mind, like a, a percentage that you'd like to turn from that uh, classic plastic film onto um, your kinds of products? It's a good question. Um, obviously, we'd love to shift um, the entire market. Of I mean, doesn't everyone? Yep. <laughs> um, I think Though, you know, this current um, facility that we're setting up, it's, uh, you know, 30,000 tonnes will be processing a year, um, which is an incredible start. But I think we'd love to be doing that at least kind of on each continent um, to make some meaningful impact in the market. So there's a global game plan here. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, very much. Do you want to talk a bit about that? Um, for sure. And I'd love to talk about it in 12 months time when, um, we see where it's taken us. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, yeah. Well, the- now you have to come back. Oh. Just committed. So. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, yeah. So we're, I guess, in the midst of preparing to launch our product, um, in the US. Um, it's an interesting one because, you know, obviously everyone uses this product. Uh, I mean, everyone has leftovers or every, every pallet travels around the world and everything that we use has been once wrapped there. So, um, you know, we're launching in April. Uh, we've got some really exciting things happening there. We've got some new products. Um, and it's just a really interesting one because um, I guess, you know, as a business we have been very focused on being made locally um, and, and local waste. So we're really interested to see how that sort of message is received by um you know, a a global market and what that sort of will look like and how that will open up. Yeah, I'm I'm very curious and, I mean, something I think a bit about is I wonder what have been consumer response like to the the wrap for the house, like the Glad Wrap sort of thing, and also what have business attitudes been? And I guess as a second part to that, like for businesses, what do they need to overcome in order to make the switch to your product? Is mm. it a price issue? Like what's going to be their biggest hurdle? Is it attitudinal? Do they need to change their beliefs around um, what's good for the planet? Yeah, definitely I think the biggest one is is price. 
Um, and I think that's probably our biggest sort of, you know, generational challenge in this space is to make a product that um, not only is better for the planet, performs in the same way, but is also at the same price. Um, you know, sadly, that still weighs in on a lot of businesses. Um, so that's part of, I guess, the reason why we're, we're, we're going to be sort of making our own raw materials to bring that, that price down. Um, but as far as, you know, home household users, uh, we've had such an amazing kind of early following of people who have just loved the story and love what we're doing, you know, um, happy to come along the, the product journey as well, which has been amazing to see. Um, and honestly, like businesses are, you know, we've been working with some, some really big businesses, um, trialing our products and they're, they're just as excited as well. Um, and are, you know, happy to come along on that price journey too. So I think really it feels like the market's very ready for these products. Oh yeah, I think definitely. And I mean, we were just talking before about the premiums associated with making an ethical choice and mm. we were talking about clothing and I was sort of saying how like I'm eyeing off these $90 shorts and I never thought I'd spend that <laughs> much money on shorts. But if I know that they're sort of carbon neutral or waste minimal or emissions minimal, like I, I kind of feel like I am happy to pay more for that. Yeah. Um, considerably more. Um, and I think that applies to how a lot of our generation and younger generations think about how they want to approach a lot of their consumption choices. Yeah, I think I think um, you're totally right. I think um, maybe, you know, a few years ago it was about really um, displaying, I don't know, it was like an aspiration to be able to kind of flash around kind of brand names or, or things like that. Whereas now I think, you know, um, you see someone in a pair of or like a Patagonia jacket and mm. you assume that they understand and are thinking about the planet and that's almost the aspiration we look for now and yep. it's like a it's like a um, a knowledge is implied, which is a, a nice shift. Um, and I think as, you know, that sort of continues to be validated, um, you know, these sort of ideas like Great Rap or, you know, all birds and things like that. that keep cups. Yeah, I still cups. remember quite well when you used to get, like even five years ago plus, I reckon I was working in the city and if you didn't have a keep cup or a Frank Green cup, you were like, oh, I can't believe you. Oh, How yeah. dare you? To- how <laughs> now embarrassing. It's, now it's intense. Yeah. Like it's every, you have to have your own keep cup. Yeah. And then it's like it's also funny to work in a co-work space and then you walk around and it's sort of like the Patagonia symbol is just prevalent. Yeah. <laughs> and the, everyone's got all birds. Everyone's wearing Patagonia. Yeah. And it's just sort of, okay, I, I get what these people are about. You know, yeah. This is a group of people who, you know, have some agreement about what matters and yeah. it's very um, made clear by their choices. Yeah, the symbols are, are definitely shifting, which is good. I think really exciting to see. What's it like for you um, being in love with your partner uh, <laughs> and your business partner at the same time? And how does that relationship kind of play out? I mean, I found it really interesting hearing you talk about bouncing ideas off each other. And I know that's something that's in my relationship, but I don't work with my wife. So I'm just curious, how, how is that for you? And um, what are the kind of like the benefits and some of the challenges of that? Yeah, it's a good question. And um, like when Geordie and I met, um, I think we registered the Great Rap business name three months after we met. Um, and prior to that, we'd already tried a few ideas. <laughs> um, so we were kind of, whether we kind of actively chose that or not, just it just kind of naturally happened, you know. Um, it's incredible. Um, we have learnt so much about ourselves and each other in this kind of scale process though. You know, previously it was just Shorty and I and um, very dedicated to a process. But um, 
building a team and and outside of ourselves has been um, we've had such a I guess we've grown so much because you know we how had, many people have you got now we've got thirty wow yeah so um, it's a it's a ever growing team I think um, biggest thing that we did really early on was really clearly define uh, what we own um, you know because we love sharing ideas but we also love feeling like we are responsible for something partly. So, um, you know, Geordie really owns the kind of um, R&D and manufacturing process side of um, getting that all organised and I kind of do kind of brand and sales and how everything is being received, I guess, outside of Great Wrap. Um, So making those roles really clear was really important for us and um, it allows us to kind of talk about problems in a a non-biased way. I think it's hard when um, you're both trying to, um, be one thing. <laughs> so we still very much have a, a clear separation. Um, we do struggle to switch off sometimes, but we do often go for like, you know, a two-day hike and just say no work, um, which is nice. And does uh, when that happens, does one of you invariably bring up work or you're able to hold off? Yeah, it's either someone accidentally brings it up or like the day after it's just this like absolute deluge of work conversation. Deluge of ideas and conversations. Yeah. So. so it's like building in the background, like you both know it's building and yeah. it just has to come out. Yeah. yeah, I don't actually know if it's that productive. <laughs> so do you kind of um do you kind of have a time at the end of the day where it's sort of pens down or laptops down and sort of coming together or you, you just kind of have a natural flow of things? Yeah, I think um, I was actually talking about it today. I think uh, something that does naturally happen and we both love eating. Um, so, you know, we love preparing a, a beautiful meal um, and I think every night we make sure that's kind of pretty special. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would probably be a point. And we also, like, are really lucky and live by the ocean, so we go for a lot of beach walks and Beautiful. swims, which naturally you don't want to be talking about work for. <laughs> yeah, totally. And, I mean, it's very high-octane industry that you're in and the stage that you're in, you talked about sort of that next phase of global growth. How do you kind of switch off and take time out of that and just kind of um, focus on your own well-being and kind of stress management? Yeah, um, it's a great – it's a great – Great question. Stress management's a big one. Um, I've been doing a lot of um, kind of trying to improve <laughs> Cyril. Um, yeah, I've been, you know, trying to meditate a lot more and really develop that as a skill. Um, you know, it's often something that I call on when I am stressed, but I, I, trying to make that a part of the daily habit um, is very big. And um, yeah, spending a lot of time just kind of walking around the sand dunes behind our house is incredible, um, an incredible way to switch off. You know, it just kind of reminds you really quickly how small you are when you see um, we're at the back beach. So there's a, a lot of really um, so nice, awesome ocean. So. so I guess for you, both of you, nature's a big thing in being in nature. Definitely. Um, yeah, I, I grew up in Western Australia, um, so spent my early life kind of living next to the bush and then moved to the beach. So I feel uh, probably most myself when I'm in nature. Um, and, you know, again, I guess part of why we started this is feeling that responsibility, um, which is kind of comes back to, I guess, your upbringing, which is kind of funny. One thing I forgot to ask you that I really wanted to know, um, I've noticed that a lot of architects and engineers become really great sustainability entrepreneurs. <laughs> have you noticed that? Yeah, I have. <laughs> what, do you think it's form or function? Like, do you think... The, those professions attract creative people and therefore those people 
go and become entrepreneurs, socially conscious entrepreneurs? Or do you think it's something about what people learn in those disciplines that makes them turn their mind to other bigger global problems? It's a good question. I think it's probably a combination of all of that. Um, you know, number one, you're, you're constantly critiquing the way things are and finding out if you can do something better. Um, you're also kind of, you know, in architecture, you're often acting as a conduit between a, a client and um, an idea and an engineer and to a, a common goal. So I think that skill set and being able to kind of manage uh, an overall vision for me has been, um, you know, it makes setting up things seem a little less hard. And I think that's probably a common thread. You know, I've, I know you've spoken to Phoebe and um, her and I have had some chats and I think that seems like the, the most common thread is like you learn this incredible skill set where um, you know a lot about or, you know, you know enough about everything to make you really well-rounded to go away and sort of tackle a problem and know that when it's the right time to call in the experts or when it's time to, you know, dive in yourself, which is really important. Um, yeah, I think that's probably my my thoughts on that. <laughs> and where do you get inspiration from generally? Do you kind of look to see what other leading brands are doing? Are you somebody who dabbles in books, podcasts, media? Where, where do you kind of get uh, your ideas for what you might do next? It's a good question. Um I feel like I consume like a huge amount of um, books and um, kind of media and podcasts, but it's often um, when I walk away from that and it all kind of sinks in and some sort of dot that I didn't realise was connected before will. So I find it's actually my greatest ideas come to me when I'm in the shower or <laughs> when I'm walking along the beach and I'm putting it down to being in water and feeling tranquil and allowing that to sort of sink in. Yeah, which is actually ironically the hardest time to capture ideas. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Actually, somebody, I think I read or heard somewhere um, a tip that if you're in the shower, it's good to have a whiteboard marker handy because then you mm. can write down on the glass or, you know, wherever you've got space, the idea. That's then, a great shout. Then you can kind of take a picture of it then wipe it off. So That's great. I actually have also looked into, so when um, – you go diving, there's like those underwater, I don't actually know how it works, but it's like an underwater notepad. Oh, really? Yeah, they That's exist. Amazing. <laughs> there we go. We've both learned something today. That's pretty cool. That's pretty amazing. So with America, I mean, how do you get a sense of what the market's going to be like there? Is it a kind of heavy research phase, both at the consumer and business end? Yeah, um, very much so. My research is probably more in the form of conversations. Um, I find I learn a lot um, and I probably should have said that in inspiration, but talking to people <laughs> yeah. is a massive, massive one. Um, we were lucky enough to get some investors quite early on in our process who really understand what we're about um, and they're based in New York. Um, so they've been able to kind of introduce us to, you know, what people are thinking locally and um, get some great um sort of talent to kind of help us uh, join the team or, you know, help bolster the team as we grow. Um, but that being said, I'm really, you know, you never know until you go type mm. thing. So um, I'm excited to see how it goes. You've just got to try things out and see what happens. Pretty much, yeah. And so in terms of how you work, I mean, it's interesting because you've got a few locations that you work from and now the second office as well. Uh, sorry, uh, factory. So are you very like – 
laptop with you everywhere and Geordie's the same or so and transient between sites? Yeah, very much so. Uh, very much so. And apologies if, you know, you ever speak to me and I'm taking a call from the car because it's a lot of a lot of going between sites. The laptop is always there, readily charged. Um, we probably don't do the classic nine to five. Um, it's more of like an early start or drive somewhere and um, kind of squeeze it in. Um, so I think it's um, it's a nice way to work though. You know, in architecture it's very much like buckle down for a week and, and it's quite intense. Um, but I've sort of found by breaking things up and being in different locations it's actually um, you can be a lot more efficient. And like another thing that sort of sprang to mind is like you've chosen to work from quite a coastal uh, remote location, which I think is awesome, like lifestyle-wise, being in the beach, there's nothing mm. better. But um, you, you're kind of not in the heartland of startups and, <laughs> and, and that kind of thing. Um, does it kind of think you – do you think you have a different perspective because you're sort of living a coastal lifestyle? Oh, yeah, maybe. I'm sure. I'm sure. <sighs> Could do. I don't know. I feel like we have so many, you know, again, I hate referring to it, but COVID sort of made everyone work from um, so many different locations. So I think, you know, we're having quite um, quite varied conversations throughout the day thanks to, you know, um, having that laptop there. So the perspective is definitely um, grounded in nature, but yeah, I don't know. It's hard to compare your own perspective, though, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. <laughs> no, I was just thinking because, you know, I don't know many um, social entrepreneurs who are so, sort of living out that way. And I just wondered whether it's you think of things differently if you're not in the buzz all the time. Yeah. Like, you know, Cremorne is just, you know. True. They're all there. Yeah. Um, and it's it's kind of like it must be nice to have that headspace away to sort of, sort of individuate your own ideas and everything. Definitely. Definitely. And downtimes, I guess, really important for us. Yeah. Um, so we do, you know, kind of <laughs> kind of dip in and out of the city to get that sort of real kick and buzz and energy and then um, kind of go back to the coast and, and let that sink in, which is a really nice way to be. Fantastic. And so, I mean, what you're doing is absolutely amazing and I can't wait to hear about the next steps that you undertake. Um are there other kind of, and you've sort of touched on this, but are there other sort of product, other than refining the, the core two products, is there anything in particular that you're excited by the challenge of at the moment? Um, yeah, an immediate one, which I I, I don't want to say too much. Yeah, I thought that might be the case. <laughs> um, but it's, I guess, our current product in um, a bit of a different format, um, and one that's more of a, a conversation starter. Um, so I'm really excited. Um, I've been able to work really closely um, with a local industrial designer um, on developing the new product, and I'm excited to be able to talk, talk about that. Yeah, it sounds absolutely amazing. I'm sorry, Cyril is absolutely savaging you. Uh, oh, is okay. it, he, he must be in a bit of a cranky mood from all the <laughs> swimming on the beach. I don't know. He's, he's acting a bit funny. I think he just wants attention. Yeah, I think that's what most <laughs> of them want, isn't it? Um, so, look, where, where can people connect and um, get some great rap? Because I think we all want some, including myself. Yeah, yes. So through our website at the moment, which is um, greatrap.co, um, and I guess through Instagram as well, um, we're there. We exist on all of those channels. 
Um, and you can really follow along on our manufacturing journey and, and as we grow because I think the next year is going to be massive for us. So Can't wait to track your progress and also for you to come back on and uh, report live uh, with Cyril in a better mood. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> so you've got the website. Can people connect with you any other ways? Yeah, um, through um, – you're pretty good on LinkedIn. Pretty good on LinkedIn, yeah. yeah. LinkedIn's probably the go-to. Amazing. Well, it's just been such a pleasure having you. Thanks so much for coming. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player or the link in today's episode notes. Why not share the podcast with your networks? After all, 62% of our subscribers come from word-of-mouth recommendations and social shares. You could also leave us a five-star review and some kind words in the iTunes store. If you love what we do each week and want to support the show, you should join our growing community of Patreon supporters or consider becoming a show sponsor. To learn more about all of that, just head to humansofpurpose.com. <laughs>